Five weeks ago, just before the COVID-19 crisis hit our country hard, Gail and I left for Hawaii. It was a Monday morning, and this would be a week of soul restoration for us, a time to meet with God, be alone together, a time of hiking and reading and running. We barely touched the water when we were there. However, on the third morning there, it was Thursday morning, I get an early morning phone call from Jeremiah Morris, who was scheduled to preach that Sunday at Wood's Edge. And Jeremiah says to me, Jeff, I, I am quite willing to preach this Sunday, but everything here is changing the last 24 hours, and I'm checking to see if you still want me to. And in the previous 24 hours, the landscape had changed. The NBA season had been suspended. March Madness had been canceled. COVID-19 had been declared a pandemic. President Trump had addressed the nation the previous evening, and there was considerable question where the churches could even meet that coming Sunday. And so after the phone call, I get in touch with our lead team back here in Houston, and we began uh, considering the question, should we meet together that coming Sunday, three days from that Thursday, or should we meet online? And after a few hours, it was clear to us that it would be irresponsible to meet together during this time, and so we decided to do an online service, and if possible, Gail and I would fly back so I could lead it that Sunday morning in three days. And so Gail was able to find us some tickets the next day, Friday evening. We flew all Friday evening, got there Saturday morning, and then Sunday morning, we had our first online service, and I was able to lead it. Now, ever since that early morning phone call on Thursday morning, one month ago today, March 12th, uh, our world has changed because of the COVID-19 crisis. And just about all of us have a story of when it first hit us that the world is different now. We have all been hit by a threefold tsunami. First of all, there's the virus itself. Worldwide, thousands of people have died, and so many more have been affected, now approaching almost 2 million confirmed cases around the world with over 100,000 deaths due to the virus. Secondly, besides the virus, there is the economic disaster. Businesses have closed. People have lost jobs. The stock market and the price of oil have plummeted economic collapse. And then thirdly, there is the social isolation, social distancing, shelter at home, no gathering in groups, and a growing sense of loneliness. A threefold tsunami, biological, financial, and social. And it's worldwide. When Hurricane Harvey hit a few years ago, that was Houston and the Gulf Coast. And before that, when 9-11 occurred, that was basically New York City and the U.S. But this is a pandemic, and it's worldwide, of course. We are in uncharted waters, and none of us know how bad it's going to get and how long it's going to last. Now, there's a lot of fear out there, fear of you getting sick or a loved one getting sick, um, fear of losing your job, fear of financial disaster, fear, maybe even fear of death. 
and in terms of social isolation. Well, you know, it's one thing to talk on the phone or Facebook someone, but that's not quite the same as face-to-face, is it? I mean, no hugs, no gatherings, no meals together, no going inside Chick-fil-A and Whataburger. Everything has changed. And now we come to Easter, and we cannot even gather together physically to celebrate the resurrection. Now, we gather digitally, but not physically. And I thank God that we can at least gather online. We've got that technology. You know, Wood's Edge, for the last four Sundays, it has been a bit surreal for me and the handful of others that have come up into a large, empty worship center to have a service and looking at a camera. It's a bit surreal. I miss seeing you and looking into your faces. I, I miss handshakes and hugs. But Easter is this way for us. Easter online is especially surreal for us. And so, on this Easter morning, Easter 2020, I raise the question, what is God saying to us about life during the COVID crisis? What does the Bible have to say to us about life during a biological financial, and social tsunami. What is God's message to us this week? Well, on that Thursday night of Holy Week, the first Easter week, Jesus gathers his troubled disciples into an upper room in Jerusalem. He washes their feet. He introduces communion to them for the first time, and he gives a final message followed by a prayer. And then Jesus leads those troubled disciples out of the city, across the Kidron Valley, and up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And that begins seven steps of suffering. Seven steps of suffering. The first step, Gethsemane. Matthew 26 36 through 38 will be in the end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. A little social distancing. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very troubled even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now back in the upper room, the disciples had been fearful and troubled. But now Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. In fact, He is very emphatic and extreme. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. I mean, Jesus, though he is the eternal God come to uh, become a man, he is so vulnerable and transparent and nowhere more than here when he confesses that he's so sorrowful that he feels like dying. I'm hurting so badly, I feel like dying. So I'm reminded, church, that whatever degree of fear and sorrow and trouble that we have been feeling, Jesus has been there, that Jesus understands, that Jesus himself has 
firsthand experience the soul anguish and agony that many of us are feeling right now. Now, let me be clear. The anguish of Jesus was not because of the physical pain of the cross the next morning, as great as that would be. But it was the spiritual pain of bearing the world's sin, including your sin and my sin. It was the anguish of being separated from the Father for the first time in all eternity as he takes on our sin and pays for it. And he says with that prospect, I am hurting so badly I feel like dying. That's the first step, Gethsemane. Second step, betrayal arrest, and abandonment. That's in verse 47. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So Jesus will be betrayed by Judas, one of his own disciples, who had spent three years with him. And then with that betrayal will come the arrest in verse 55. And Jesus challenges them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Now, understand, Jesus, with this deep soul anguish and all that he is about to face, he still has confidence that God is in charge. Look at 55 again, or 56. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. In other words, all of this fulfills the word of God. God has already told us that this was hap- would happen. God is in charge of the whole thing, not you, not Pilate, not the crowd. But God is in charge. He has foretold it in centuries past. Church, this is God's word to you and to me today. It makes all the difference as we look at this COVID-19 crisis. If we understand that God is in charge, not the governments of the world, not the CDCs of the world, not the banking institutions of the world, not the microbe and the virus of the world, but God is in charge of the whole thing. God is God. He's the sovereign God, and he rules the universe, and nothing touches us that does not first pass through his hands. God will have the final word. And it will be good. Now, after betrayal and arrest, we have the abandonment by the disciples. For we read, then all of the disciples left him and fled. Now, now talk about loneliness. I mean, these are his closest friends. Three years living with him, and they abandoned him. Step two. Now we come to step three, where Jesus is beaten, mocked, and denied. Verse 67, then they spit at his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Now, 
Get that image in your mind. And remember that Jesus is the eternal son of God who created the universe and came down to this earth to die on a bloody cross to pay for our sins because of his love for us. And it is that one that they are mocking, ridiculing, beating, and slapping. I mean, the humility of Jesus as he comes and bears all of this. And then Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. And Peter might be his closest friend. In fact, his third denial comes in verse 74 where we read, Then he, Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Now, at this point, Jesus is left all alone with no disciple or friend at his side. All alone except the Father. And even that will soon change. So the fourth step we come to, Jesus is scourged. Matthew 27, now going from chapter 26 to 27. Matthew 27, verse 26. Then he released, then Pilate released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Now, church, the Bible is so interesting. It, it can be so understated, especially about the physical pain of the cross. I mean, the Bible never emphasizes the physical pain of crucifixion because the basic point is not the physical agony, but the spiritual agony of bearing the world's sin. However, it is true that first century readers of the Gospels would know that the scourging by a Roman whip, a whip embedded with bits of stone and metal, would just rip the back apart. And it was overwhelming pain. And so the reader would understand when they said that Jesus was scourged. That's the fourth step. Now the fifth step, he's crucified. Verse 35. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Again, we see it. No attention to the physical pain of crucifixion, though it was the most painful form of execution known in the first century. But God rivets all of our attention on the meaning of the cross to pay for our sin. That happens at 9 a.m. Three hours later at noon, the sky turns black. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour from noon to 3 p.m. It's like the spiritual darkness of the hour becomes a literal darkness. It's almost as if the sun, this event is so big that the sun wants to hide its face. And then... Perhaps we come to the key verse of the whole passage in verse 46, and we read this. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is at this point that God the Father has placed the sins of the world upon Jesus, your sins, and my sins, and he is now with the sin separated from the Father for the first time in all eternity. And for the first time ever in the Gospels, Jesus does not address God as Father. 
but rather he addresses him as God because of that separation. And he cries out in this poignant cry of pain, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is bearing your sin and mine. He's now utterly alone, even separated from the Father. And that's the fifth step. Sixth step, death. Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, notice that, that Jesus chooses when to die. He yielded up his spirit. Even in death, even on the cross, Jesus is in charge. Jesus is king. He is reigning from the cross. Not Pilate, not the religious leaders, not the crowds. Jesus reigns from the cross. And then finally, the seventh step, burial. A man by the name of Joseph Arimathea, a wealthy man, takes the body of Jesus for burial. Verse 59, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Picture, if you would, the lifeless body of Jesus laid in that dark tomb, and then the heavy stone rolled over it to seal Jesus in that tomb. What a picture of Jesus being utterly forsaken and alone. So seven steps of suffering down into the pit of death. That's what our Savior did for you. Gethsemane, betrayal, arrest, abandonment, beaten, mocked, denied, scourged, crucified, death, and burial. Now, think about from the disciples' vantage point how they would be absolutely devastated by all of this. For three years, they had followed Jesus. For three years, they had come to know and love Jesus. For three years, they had all these dreams about the kingdom, and now they watch Jesus cruelly beaten, scourged, executed, buried. They would have overwhelming grief and pain. All their dreams had been shattered. They would be despondent, disconsolate, discouraged. They would be grief-stricken and terrified. They would be scattered and alone, like so many people today. Now, it is true that Jesus had warned them that all of this would happen, but they did not hear him. They did not understand him. They couldn't. They did not want to understand him. They had a human perspective rather than a heavenly perspective. Today, in the midst of this pandemic, Practically the whole world is where the disciples were that Friday. All of us experience some degree of grief because our whole way of life has been disrupted. That thin veneer of security has vanished because we are all confronted with death and mortality all around us. Sin will have its ultimate satisfaction unless someone rescues us and there will be death. And just like those first disciples, it is so easy to have a human perspective rather than a heavenly perspective. 
we too can forget that God is in charge, that God has the final word, and that that word is good. From our vantage point today, we see what the disciples did not see that Friday. We see Friday, that Friday, in light of Sunday. As it has often been put, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Now, they didn't see it there, but we see it. And on that Sunday, everything would change for those disciples when they see him with their own eyes. And for 40 days, they would walk with him and talk with him and eat with him and talk with him. And, and everything would change after that. And they would know, oh, oh, God had been at work in this all along. God never stops working. God is always, as we sang earlier, turning evil into good. And so everything would change. God would take the worst evil ever, the crucifixion of God, and turn it into the greatest good ever, salvation for the world. Now, even those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we can so easily forget that God is at work right now in the midst of this pandemic, that God is in charge, that God is good, and He is turning evil into good. We too can forget that. Friends, when it comes to the COVID-19 virus this Easter, here is God's word for you. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And one day we'll see it. <coughs> now, we turn the page of the Bible from Matthew 27 <coughs> to Matthew 28. From his death to his resurrection, from Friday to Sunday. And we read in verse, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Now, look again at verse 5 and what he says. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Do not, in light of the crisis today, do not be afraid. For he is not here. He is risen. He is risen from the dead. Church, this is the good news of Easter 2020. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Satan is defeated. All the suffering of this world, including this current pandemic, is temporary. Jesus has won and will reign forever. And 
if we have trusted Christ as our Savior. We're on his team, and we too have won and reign forever with him, no matter what is going on right now. Friends, there is so much about this crisis that we do not understand, so much that we do not know. But this is what we do know. We know that God rules the universe, that God is in charge, that he has the final word, and it will be good. We know that at the cross, God proved his love for you and me by sending his son. We know that in the resurrection, Christ triumphed over the darkness. The death of Christ is in fact the death of death because of the resurrection. Church, because of Easter, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, death does not have the final word in this thing. COVID-19 does not have the final word. Jesus, the risen Savior, has the final word. And so this morning, God says to you and to me, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. So just make sure you belong to Jesus. Make sure that you have trusted him, received him, believed on him as your Savior. If you have never done that, or if you're not sure you've done that, then do it right now. <coughs> simply breathe a prayer, Jesus, come and save me, and he will. Come and save me. Now, if you trust Christ this morning as your Savior, let us know so that we can help you get some next steps. Just go to that digital connect card, upper right of our website. Go to the digital connect card and hit that button about trusting Christ. Now, let me conclude this morning with the final words of Jesus back on that Thursday night where we all started, that Thursday night. His final words before leaving, leaving for Gethsemane and the seven stages of suffering. He says to the disciples who, remember, they're troubled, discouraged, and anxious, like so many people now. And this is what Jesus said to them then and what he says to us now. John 16, 32, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Church, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Pray with me, if you would. Friend, if you're listening in and the Spirit of God is moving in your heart and you know that God is speaking to you, then I urge you to whisper a prayer to God to save you. Maybe just a brief sentence, Jesus, come and save me. And he will, he will. If you already have done that and maybe you've uh, left your first love and drifted away from God, then come home to Jesus and his love because all that we are looking for, all that you are looking for is found in Jesus alone. Lord God, we thank you for a perspective, a heavenly perspective 
on this pandemic. That is Friday now, but Sunday's coming because Jesus Christ has triumphed over the grave. Lord, we bless you, worship you, and adore you in Christ's holy name.